Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Foreign Affairs Minister says it was unacceptable for a Canadian official to attend a reception hosted by the Russian Embassy. The reality is this should never have happened and this will not happen again. Um, I'm the minister and the buck stops here. And so I share the frustration and the anger of Canadians regarding this issue. Conservative leadership candidates are expected to challenge the eligibility of thousands of party memberships. We would really have to have around 900,000 for those numbers to be valid. And the party came out and said that the list is 600,000. Remember, we had more than 150,000 existing members. So if you add up just what Mr. Polyev claims, what Mr. Brown claims, and what our existing numbers are, it doesn't add up. And the Prime Minister tests positive for COVID-19 for a second time. There is plenty of chances if COVID was being transmitted at that uh, at that event, there's certainly a good chance that many world leaders are going to be coming down with it too. Kind of reminds you that the thing isn't over yet. It's Tuesday, June 14th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Mark. So we found out over the last couple of days that a Canadian official attended a reception hosted by the Russian embassy. And yesterday, of course, the foreign affairs minister, Melanie Jolie, was asked about it. She said it was unacceptable. But even so, it still happened. And... Uh, She said, Jolie said, no Canadian representative will attend this kind of event again um, and that Canada continues to support Ukraine. But uh, what do you make of this? And and I imagine we're going to hear more questions about about how the government let this happen. Yeah, you know, I I don't think anybody really expects the minister is going to uh, ask everybody at the end of their day what they're doing with their evenings. But it did seem like a strangely discordant thing for Ms. Uh, Heimbecker to do. She's the deputy chief of protocol. It's not like this hasn't been discussed. Uh, maybe some of the confusion has been around the fact that Canada has not expelled the Russians. And I'm sure, you know, the opposition is going to be saying the government has been not clear on this either, saying it wanted to keep some lines open, but close other ones. So, that's, that's maybe a bit of nuance there, but I don't know what this official was thinking in showing up there. It uh, it seems like it was at least insensitive and very definitely impolitic. Yeah. The Russian ambassador to Canada has said he appreciated the official attending the event and said it's about diplomacy and dialogue. Um, but of course, that's not the outlook that Canada has at the moment. And in fact, um, uh, Global Affairs Canada has said Russian officials will not be invited to Canada Day events um, on July the 1st. So um, this is, uh, you know, it's it's one small thing. It probably doesn't change a lot, but the symbolism is is significant, right? Yeah, it's very Cold War-ish, for sure. You know, that uh, it's been a long time since we've, um, you know, I guess there have been Olympic boycotts and things like that. But, we, you know, it, it, we haven't seen sort of this rigidity in the relationship in a long time. And I think, you know, it's uh, justified. But it is a little confusing, I'm sure, for for foreign affairs people. I do not know what 
what one would get out of going to a, a an event like Ms. Heinbecker attended? As did she think that there was going to be some chance there to learn something or um, make inroads with Russia? I, I it just seems to me again. Yeah, we we know where the we, Canada is pretty clear on this one too. It's picked a side and. Showing up at a party for the Russians is not uh, in keeping with that. Yeah. All right, Susan, let's turn to the conservative leadership race. And, you know, often we we focus, as, as I think we should, on, on, on policy and on ideas and on how the candidates are challenging each other on, on the issues. Um, but there's, of course, a lot to a leadership race. And one of the big elements of it is, is who's sold. Oh, <coughs> now I'm going to cough. <coughs> <laughs> And one of the big elements, of course, is who has sold the most memberships and and which memberships are eligible and who's actually going to vote. And and so we're entering a phase now where the candidates are expected to be challenging some of the memberships that have been sold by their opponents. And they're going to ask the party to declare some of the people who have purchased memberships ineligible to vote. This is going to be this big administrative, technical paperwork-oriented kind of situation for the next uh, the next few weeks, I presume. Yeah, you know, the political parties like to compare themselves to families, but this is like the ugliest dinner party ever part. It's like the, the gathering that, uh, that you don't want to go to because they really are going to be saying who's in and who's out. It's very clubby. It's very procedural. There will be all kinds of challenges. Uh, one of the things they have to test, for example, is have people been using one credit card to buy multiple memberships? That's not on. Um, have people been signing up when they already were members? Have they got double memberships? It is it's red tape, but it's also laden, as you mentioned, with emotion at the stakes of this and the the extraordinarily bitter tone of this race already, too. So uh, if there are going to be proxy battles fought in all of this as well, people are, are questioning whether Pierre Polyev does have the, the commanding lead that he claims. People will be challenging whether Jean Charest has, you know, a fighting chance whether all of Patrick Brown's memberships have been uh, legitimately sold. 150000 is a lot to sell. So I, I think you're, it's, it's, it's a family dispute, and it's over who's in the family and who's not. So it's ugly. Yeah. And it is an area. I'm, not, I'm certainly not casting aspersions on anything about what the candidates are doing this time around, but it's a, it's a complicated business figuring out who's eligible to vote, who isn't, who followed the rules about signing up members who didn't. There are there are lots of gray areas and ways that the rules can be bent and broken. Uh, so it's complicated, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. That's the, the thing. You know, they, they have to go back and track how not only the person's legitimacy in, you know, being a, a paid-up member, and but where the payment came from and make sure that that these weren't bulk bought or, or some part of some other scheme. So, and leadership races are famous for this in all parties. Yeah, it's it's incredibly fraught process. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Yeah, it's going to be a, a, a difficult. I I heard Ian Brody, who's uh, one of the people in charge of this, saying that it might not be till the end of July before we know who's really eligible to vote. Hmm. That's you know, it's crazy. All right. The prime minister announced yesterday that he has tested positive uh, for COVID for a second time. He said he feels okay. He's isolating. Uh, He attributed the fact that he's feeling okay uh, to uh, the fact that he's been vaccinated uh, and is encouraging everyone to get uh, all the vaccinations that they uh, that they need and can get. Um, But um, it, it is interesting. The prime minister has been traveling quite a bit and has been in meetings. He was with uh, the other world leaders at the Summit of the Americas just last week. So uh, the timing of this is interesting, given all the different uh, events that he's attended. Yeah, he was certainly out there last week. The the, uh, Thursday night dinner was in the Getty Museum. It was outdoors, um, but with all the other leaders. So there was plenty of chances if COVID was being transmitted at that time. at that event, there's certainly a good chance that many world leaders are going to be coming down with it, too. Kind of reminds you that the thing isn't over yet as well. Yeah. The Prime Minister was one of the first people to teach us about uh, isolating as a world leader in March 2020, when his wife tested positive. And he didn't get it then. He has had it now twice in the past six months. But it, it's, I've, I've been saying my joke about uh, COVID, if you can joke about such a thing, is that if it was a TV series, it would be cancelled by now. Because <laughs> it's it's random. It doesn't have a straight line. Nobody really understands what it's about anymore or what the rules are about it. We see that the government also this week is winding down that app to alert you because nobody's getting PCR tests anymore. Yeah, it's a strange. It's it's in a very strange phase, and the fact that the prime minister has it is going to enrage the people who have been asking for vaccine mandates and all that stuff to end. Because I, I did see some discussion on Twitter yesterday among people saying the prime minister is making this up because he just wants an excuse to keep the vaccine mandates open, which is crazy. But that's where we are in this series that should have been cancelled by now. Um, So added on top of all of this, of course, is the nightmare at airports. The, you know, Canadians are entering the summer season in a very bad mood, I would think. They They can't travel at home because gas prices and everything is going through the roof. They can't get on planes because airports are a nightmare. They can't get their passports. And the Prime Minister is saying COVID's not gone yet. So it, it feels like this is a very cranky June in Canadian politics. Mm. And it, you know, it often does get a little bit cranky leading up to the final few days of Parliament sitting before the summer yeah. break. And that's where we are. So, but it's uh, it's more than just what's happening inside uh, Parliament, of course. Um, yeah, right. there's it, a really sort of exasperation, I think, yeah. that affect that and I MPs are going to be getting an earful about this when they go home. Yeah. To their ridings in the summer. They are going to be hearing about people being frustrated. It's been a long two years and it's not it doesn't have a neat ending. Mm-hmm. All right, Susan, I appreciate this. Thank you very much for joining us today. All right. Sorry to be so bleak. <laughs> Thanks, Susan.
<laughs> That's Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. There's been a lot of pressure from the travel industry on both sides of the border to do things to make the, tra- the flow of travel swifter and a lot easier for travelers this summer. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Hill Times, Sheila Copps argues the last thing anyone wants is chaos at Canada's largest airport. Copps writes, as passengers return to air travel, they are continuing to experience massive delays. Finger-pointing will continue between governments, airport management, airlines, and national regulatory authorities. But the bulk of the blame will be borne by the federal government. There is no doubt that certain health risks are attached to dropping COVID measures. But with provincial governments demasking most activities, the danger of going into a crowded restaurant is probably equivalent to passenger travel risk on planes. Medical professionals may not be happy with the demasking requirements, but the general population is ready to embrace the new normal. In the Toronto Star, Gillian Stewart argues, Doug Ford changed and Jason Kenney didn't. Stewart writes, Four years ago, no one would have predicted that Doug Ford's star would be rising as Jason Kenney's burned up and plummeted to the ground. It makes me wonder if Pierre Poilievre is peaking too soon. He acts as though he has already won, but the leadership votes won't be counted for four months. Making predictions about politics is a fool's game these days, and the Ford-Kenny saga proves the point that things can change fast. Politicians who were once at the top of their game can quickly flame out. Pierre Poilievre may be on the same trajectory. In the Ottawa Citizen, Brigitte Pellerin argues, We can afford to pay workers a respectful wage. Pellerin writes, When your life is easy, it usually means you're making it difficult for other people. By the same token, when we get cheap goods and services, it's often because they're expensive to others. It's hard to know how to shop in ways that don't encourage the dehumanization of workers. But we certainly can do something to treat with dignity those who bring us our food and drink when we're out enjoying ourselves. The act of providing food and drink to others isn't just work. It's an act of care and love and it brings dignity to all concerned, provided they are all treated well along the way. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will virtually chair the Cabinet meeting and virtually attend question period. The Special Joint Committee on the Declaration of Emergency will hear from Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland and Minister of Emergency Preparedness Bill Blair on the use of the Emergencies Act. And Housing Minister Ahmed Hussein We'll make a housing announcement in Ottawa. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, June 14th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC. For coverage of all the day's events, our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.